Hello and welcome to this podcast series of the first 50 years of the history of the American Republic. I'm Chris McKenna and I'm here with my co-host, Kathy Conroy. Hi, Chris. In this podcast, we're going to talk about Thomas Jefferson's first term as president. He was inaugurated as the third president on March 4th, 1801, and was the first president to be inaugurated at the new capital city of Washington, D.C. Chris, there was some electoral college drama associated with this election. At this time, when electors cast their two ballots, they did not specifically distinguish their two votes between president and vice president. Jefferson was running for president with Aaron Burr as his vice presidential running mate. When the votes were counted, there was exactly 73 votes each for Jefferson and for Burr and 65 votes for Adams, who was running for re-election for a second term. With a tie at 73 votes each, the decision on whether Jefferson or Burr would become president with the other becoming vice president could not be determined by the electoral college. Remember, the system at that time was the person with the highest vote count became president and the second highest vote count became the vice president. With a tie for the highest number of votes, the decision was moved from the Electoral College over to the House of Representatives. Each state would vote as a unit in the House of Representatives and at that time, a majority of nine states would be needed by either Jefferson or Burr to become the president. After 30 separate votes over six days, neither Jefferson nor Burr could capture a nine state majority. This situation was not good for the country. So after some backroom politicking, which involved Alexander Hamilton, who disliked Aaron Burr even more than he disliked Jefferson, on the 36th round of voting, four states cast blank ballots, with Jefferson capturing 10 states to win the presidency. It's interesting to note that Jefferson's presidency begins a 25-year run of the presidency being held by Virginians. This pattern of a consecutive presidents from the same state for a quarter of a century has never been repeated in our country's history. Jefferson's well-educated and he has a great intellect. Many historians think he had one of the greatest legal minds at the time. He also had a very long and distinguished career in American politics. Jefferson was in France during the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. However, he corresponded frequently with James Madison, who was a very close friend. Jefferson supported the new Constitution drafted in Philadelphia, although he was also in the camp that wanted a Bill of Rights added to the Constitution, which was accomplished during Washington's first term as president. Jefferson served as the Secretary of State under Washington. He resigned that position at the end of 1793, given a lot of conflict between himself and Hamilton, as Jefferson's view of the role of the federal government had become different from that of Hamilton and Washington, who had become more aligned with Hamilton. At the end of Washington's tenure as president, Jefferson ran for president, but was the second highest vote getter and thus became the vice president under John Adams. By that time, Adams and Jefferson had developed different political viewpoints on the extent of the role of the federal government. 
At the end of Adams' first term, Jefferson runs against Adams and wins and ultimately becomes our third president. When Jefferson becomes president, he makes some cuts to the federal workforce, he reduces some taxes, and he's able to pay down a portion of the national debt, all of which makes him relatively popular during his first term. Within a few months of being president, he also establishes the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. In January of 1803, Jefferson asks Congress to fund money for an expedition to explore the Mississippi River and beyond to find a route to the Pacific Ocean. An expedition team is formed that is led by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, the Lewis and Clark Expedition. The expedition team is provided with the best supplies, clothing, and equipment available at that time. Their mission is to observe and record the geography of the areas, the plants and animals, and to note potential future natural resources. The team takes off in May of 1804, just near St. Louis. They eventually cross the Continental Divide and go down the Columbia River to the Pacific Ocean. The expedition team returns two years and five months later to St. Louis in September of 1806 with an incredible amount of information and data. For example, they had produced detailed maps of the areas, copious notes about natural resources, areas for timber, good agricultural lands. They documented new animal species not seen before, the grizzly bear, the prairie dog, mountain goats. They made extensive notes about the indigenous tribes they encountered, and they interacted with over 50 different tribes. The team traveled over 8,000 miles at a total taxpayer cost of $40,000. Considered one of the most successful expeditions ever undertaken at a cost of only $5 a mile. Well, without a doubt, Chris, the most significant domestic accomplishment during Jefferson's first term is the Louisiana Purchase from the French in April of 1803 for $15 million. This purchase of over 800,000 square miles doubled the size of the United States. During his first term, Jefferson learns that Spain had ceded Louisiana to the French in 1800. He definitely wanted America to acquire New Orleans in order to secure uninterrupted access to a shipping port for the American farmers transporting their goods along the Mississippi River. Jefferson instructs his ministers, Robert Livingston and James Monroe, to approach Napoleon about the purchase. Napoleon is in a war with England and needs money to finance his war effort. Napoleon then offers to sell Jefferson his entire holdings in North America, which included New Orleans and territory along the Mississippi River, as well as a large portion of what is now the Midwestern United States. Jefferson saw tremendous value in this larger acquisition. This would enable all the farmers in the Ohio River Valley to have clear navigation of the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico for moving their goods. And historically, this was always a bit of an issue with the different countries owning some territory along the Mississippi River. In fact, at one point, Spain had closed the river to navigation prior to the French taking over Louisiana. So Jefferson saw value in securing these unobstructed navigation rights. 
The deal offered by Napoleon provided the United States with significantly more land, which Jefferson saw as an important buffer between the young country and other neighboring countries. Jefferson knew he didn't have the authority under the Constitution to make this purchase in the executive branch of the government. Rather, a purchase of this nature would fall to the legislative branch of the government. But Jefferson knew he could not waste any time and possibly lose the opportunity should Napoleon change his mind. So Jefferson agrees to the purchase with Napoleon. Then Jefferson goes to Congress and effectively asks for their forgiveness, saying he had to make this decision quickly and knew it was for the benefit of the country. He then asked Congress to retroactively approve the purchase, which they eventually did in October of 1803. Another major domestic event during Jefferson's first term in office was a Supreme Court decision in February of 1803, Marbury v. Madison. Just prior to Adams leaving office, the legislature passed the Judiciary Act of 1801. Among other things, this act expanded the number of circuit courts and added new judges and added new federal marshals and justices of the peace. When John Adams was leaving office, he signed a lot of commissions for federal judges, which would be lifetime appointments. Adams was of a different political party than Jefferson and was essentially stacking the court with judges more aligned with the viewpoint of his party. This really irritated Jefferson when he came into office, as well as irritating his close friend James Madison, who was the newly appointed Secretary of State. Given that Adams signed so many of these commissions during the final days of his presidency, several of the commissions had not yet been delivered to the individual. Now, under the new administration, it would be Madison's job to deliver the commissions. So Jefferson and Madison agree to a plan whereby any commissions that had not yet been delivered would simply not be delivered, which would prevent some of the newly appointed judges from taking their job on the bench, as well as affecting other appointments for federal marshals and justices of the peace. One of the individuals whose commission had not yet been delivered was Marbury who had been appointed as a Justice of the Peace. Marbury filed suit in the Supreme Court against Madison. Marbury sued under the Judiciary Act of 1789 and asks the court to issue a writ of mandamus, which is an order commanding a public official to do a particular act, in this case, compelling Madison to deliver his commission. The Supreme Court's ruling in this case was to become one of the most important rulings in the history of our courts. First, the court said to Marbury that you are entitled to the commission and a writ of mandamus would be a proper remedy. However, we are denying your request under the Judiciary Act of 1789 because, based on how we read the Constitution, that Judiciary Act violated Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution by exceeding the jurisdiction the Constitution gave to the courts. And given that the Constitution is superior to any act of Congress, a law repugnant to the Constitution is void. Their opinion went on to say that province and duty of the judicial department is to say what the law is. If two laws conflict with each other, the courts must decide on the operation of each. With this decision, the Supreme Court gave itself the power of judicial review, something not overtly addressed in the Constitution. 
Thus, in Marbury versus Madison, it is the nature of the court's decision that is much larger than the decision itself. The court asserted its power to review actions of the legislative and executive branches of the government for consistency with the Constitution of the United States and gave themselves the power to declare an act of Congress void if it was inconsistent with the Constitution. Chris, in November of 1804, Jefferson is re-elected president by a very wide margin in the Electoral College. And in our next podcast, we'll discuss his second term in office.